today we've been, we've been journeying together through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, Simon Peter is writing to a group of people, a group of Christians that are being persecuted. The, the local church is beginning to, to be birthed, and as a result of that, uh, the government is, is against the local church. Uh, Nero, it wasn't that Nero was a bad leader. Nero was a maniac. I mean, Nero was doing everything he could to persecute, to kill, to torture uh, Christians. Fact is, fact is, history teaches us that, that Nero's wife and kids came to know Christ, and Nero had them martyred, and Nero had them killed. He was doing everything he could to stamp out Christianity. The government was against the Christians. The culture was against the Christians. There was all kinds of shifts going on in their time. And then Simon Peter writes into their to their congregation with this circular letter. See, the, the reason that his letter was circulated through a bunch of churches. And so, and he began telling them how to, how to stand firm, how to navigate their faith during these times. And I think he has a lot to say to us. And listen, let me just tell you, just fair warning this morning, I literally have a three-hour sermon. I have that much information. And so, you know what? I just thought this is the last sermon of the day, the the Broncos aren't playing, and the Cowboys don't play till 6 o'clock. So what do we have to do? You know it. And so uh, I think God's moving in our congregation. I said I talked to a, a diehard Bronco fan in the lobby at the 9 o'clock service, and he admitted, he looked at me and says, you know what, I think the Cowboys are better than the Broncos right now. And so I'm like, you know what, God is on the move. God is on the move. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have a message for you, and I, ha I have a burden. Uh, the, and, and so today, we're, we're going to walk through some tough stuff of Scripture. And I see these, these conversations are going on outside of the church, and I think it's time to bring these conversations inside the church. I think it's time for us to be willing to talk about the hard topics, the hard things that, you know what, we deal with every day. And so that is one of the reasons why we pick a book of the Bible and we work through it. There's for two reasons. One, these are were, these were letters that were circulated through the, around the churches. And so one of the reasons, and so the way that they were used in their time, they would go to a church, they'd read the letter, and they'd pass the, the letter on. The way you read a letter and I read a letter, the way we read an email, right? We understand the subject and we walk, we walk all the way through it. We don't grab bits and pieces, right? And so that's one reason. The second thing is this. It forces us to talk about the whole counsel of God's Word. To where we just don't center on the, our favorite stuff, the feel-good stuff, the stuff that we like to talk about. So Simon Peter writes into this congregation, and he helps them to understand what it means to live an authentic life, what it means to build your life on a firm spiritual foundation so that it will stand. Because see, what was happening in their culture with the persecution of Nero, there were people falling away from the faith. There were people walking away. There were people caving in. So here's what the scripture says. Let me just read 11 through 25, and then I'm going to give you three principles in 31 minutes and 46 seconds. How's that? Okay, I'll get you out in the same amount of time, but I'm going to give you a lot of content because content. There's a lot of stuff we got to talk about. Verse 11, verse he says, "Beloved." So who he's talking to? Believers. He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. He says, "Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evil doers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation." Be subject for the Lord's sake to every institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Only three times in the New Testament it says this is the will. 
of God. And so all of a sudden, he, he, he lists that. He says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Sub servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to, to, do, to, to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when you're mindful of God, one, endure, one who endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin, are beaten for it, you endure? But if when, when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to do this, you have been called because of Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were, were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to, to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. All of a sudden, you can hear his passion. You can hear the passion of Simon Peter just crying out to this congregation when everything has changed around him. Culture has changed. Everything has shifted. And everything is against this body of believers. And he begins crying out to him and said, you live an authentic life. Live out your faith in, in faithfulness in the context, in the place where God has placed you. Listen, many of you know that I was, was born and raised in, in Houston, well, born and raised in Texas. I was actually born in Baytown, Texas. Many of you may not know where that is. It's a small little town. It's south of Houston, Texas. It's, it's on the ship channel. Um, so people would refer to Baytown, Texas, part of the, like the dirty south. And, uh, I mean, we, we had petrochemical plant after petrochemical plant. I was raised in, like, Baytown, Texas. And, and, and um, whenever a hurricane entered the Gulf of Mexico, we were usually one of the first ones to be evacuated out. I mean, because we weren't above sea level. We weren't at sea level. We were actually below sea level. And so as a result of that, I'm well aware of living on the coast, and I'm well aware of, of hurricanes and the damage that, that they bring. And so I had relatives that lived in Houston, Texas, and Galveston, Bolivar Peninsula, uh, all of that area, Matagorda Island. I lived for a period of time in Bay City, which is on Mat Matagorda Island, and my dad worked for Humble Brothers, which became Exxon. And so we moved around up and down the Gulf Coast about every four to five years. And so I'm real familiar with what it means to live out a storm in your life, a physical storm, and what it is to survive through a hurricane and be evacuated out. And, and even after moving away and coming in 1995 to plant Fellowship of the Rockies, I'm still very aware when a hurricane enters the Gulf of Mexico because my mom still lives there, my brothers and sisters, my sister lives in Bay City, Matagorda Island, and I got a lot of family and I got a lot of friends, and, and I know the risk to them, and so I worry about my family and my friends and, and, and relationships. In 2008, there was a hurricane that, that entered the Gulf of Mexico, and, and it, was a, it was a hurricane that by national statistics, it wasn't even seen as a really large one. In fact, is when I, when I mention the name to you, you're probably not even going to be aware of what What? what? I, I didn't even hear about that one. You see, see, this one was so small in nature that it really wasn't, didn't make like big national news. It was 2008 when Hurricane Ike hit the, the Gulf Coast. 
Hurricane Ike was only like a Category 2 hurricane, which simply means this, about 110 mile per, mile, mile per hour sustained winds, which we'll probably experience this afternoon here in Pueblo. <laughs> Had 110 mile per hour winds. Um, the winds weren't the danger. It was only a Category 2. The danger was the rain and the storm surge that it would bring with it. Interesting enough, all of a sudden Hurricane Ike turned and started heading for the Bolivar Peninsula and where there's a little town called Gilcrest, Texas. Gilcrest, Texas had about 200 people. In fact, is it, I'm sorry, 200 homes. It had exactly 200 homes. Gilcrest, Texas is an interesting place. It's a famous place. It's a retirement community. It's well-built homes, manicured homes. It's a retired community where people from Dallas and Houston and, and, and the bigger cities were trying to, in Austin, in San Antonio, that they're trying to escape the hustle and bustle of the big city, and they're going to a retirement community. And, and, and Gilcrest, uh, Gilcrest was like this quiet retirement community. There was no such thing as spring break for these guys, right? I mean, their evenings were spent by strolling up and down the beaches and, uh, and collecting seashells and enjoying the quiet life, the retirement life. Hurricane Ike hit Gilcrest, Texas. There were 200 in homes there. When it was all said and done... 199 homes were destroyed. There's only one home left standing. Fact is, I have a picture for you of it. There's the picture of it. 199 homes are gone. Only one home left remains standing. Fact is, people that are familiar with Gilcrest, Texas would say when they, when they, when they entered Gilcrest, Texas, all of, the far, all of the familiar landmarks were gone. Only the thing that was left was destruction and debris and all of the other things. And, and so they, they said that 199 homes were like, were like destroyed and were leveled except for this, this one home. Maybe you have some of the same questions I have. I mean, I've looked at this picture numerous times and said, what was different about this house? What was different about this found, the foundation of this house, the structure of this house, how this house was built, what was different about this house that allowed this house to withstand the storm that wiped out 199 houses around it. I really believe this is symbolic of what Simon Peter is talking about. Simon Peter is talking to a group of Christians. He's talking to a group of believers that he refers to as beloved. He's talking to us and he's talking to us about this issue of the importance of building your life on a strong spiritual foundation so that you and I can withstand the storms of this life. So that you and I come to a place where we understand our strength is not in this world and our strength is not in these structures and our strength is not in this culture, but our strength is in, in Him. I wonder sometimes as this is more symbolic of the spiritual lives that have been built that are committed to the faith and people like you are building lives and building a spiritual house and the older and older I get that I realize that not everybody's house is still standing the more that I realize this is sometimes the storms of life reveal to us the foundation in which we built our life on and maybe they didn't have the right foundation, if you will, to sustain a Category 2 hurricane. 
I, I don't know about you, but I've made this commitment. And if there's only going to be a few spiritual houses still standing, I want to be one of those people. I want to be one of those people that understand who I am in Christ, understand this spiritual foundation, because sadly, I'm just telling you, it is becoming more and more un uncommon to see people go the whole distance with God. Sometimes it's these storms that reveal to us what our life is being built on. We're the saints, we're the people that have said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to faithfully follow him all the days of our life. Political landscapes may change, cultural ideas may shift, stock markets may crash, but no matter what, I have made the decision that my foundation is solid and my house is going to stand and my house is going to continue to serve the Lord regardless of what happens around me. See, this is what's happened, happening to Simon Peter. There was a shift going on in the church. There were some people bailing. There were some people caving because of the things, that, because of Nero and the government and the persecution. And it revealed to them the foundation that their life was built on. And the older and older I get, I'm just telling you, I know I sound like an old guy this morning. In fact, it is this whole weekend. But the older and older I get, the less and less impressed I am with the famous, the popular, and the celebrity pastors of our day. You know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for longevity. I'm looking for some integrity. I'm looking for some people that have an authentic faith and consistency. I'm looking for people that are living out an authentic, authentic Christian life, committed to Christ. I mean, I don't know if you're like me. I am intrigued by some people that have weathered some storms in their life. And you know what? Their house is still standing. They're still making the commitment that it's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. And so I, I just want to encourage you this morning and about remaining in a leaving culture that we live in now. Simon Peter in verse 12, it may be the focal point of this passage, but verse 12 he says, he says, live such good lives. This is an imperative. This is a command. He said, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see, that word see is very important in the Greek, they may see your good deeds glorified God on the day he visits, visits us. In the Greek, I mean, that word see, it doesn't mean a casual glance. It just doesn't mean to kind of casually glance, look over. This word in the Greek means to observe. It means to expect. It means to study. What Simon Peter is helping us to understand is, guess what? When you're professed believers, there is a watching world. They are watching to see how you live your life. They're watching to see how you follow him. Because what scripture says to us is we're representatives of Christ. We represent Christ everywhere that we go. And there is a watching world, right? And they see, they see sometimes the inconsistencies. And what is going on in our culture is some, sometimes what they're seeing is they're seeing houses that are beginning to fall. So I want to encourage you this morning with just three things about living in an in authentic life and what Simon Peter told them, and he tells us the first thing is this. I live an authentic life by the way that I respond to sinful desires. I live, listen, I live an authentic life by the way that I respond to sinful desires. Watch this, verse 11. Let's just walk through this together. He said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh 
which wage war against your soul. This word abstain is a huge word. It means to fend oneself off, to remove oneself, to hold back oneself. It means to have restraint. It means to have self-control. And he begins telling us and helping us understand, guess what? This isn't, this isn't our home. Our citizenship is not here. And as a result, that, a result of that, guess what? There are passions, there are sinful desires, and we're in a war. And we need to understand we're in a war. We're in a war with this issue of temptation. Listen, all temptation is rooted in a lie. I'm just telling you, all temptation is rooted in a lie. That something other than God and something other than God's word and something other than God's will can meet and satisfy my desires and my need. Something else can satisfy me other than the Lord and his word. In other words, this, what Simon Peter is saying is there is this war going on. And when you face temptation, the authentic Christian, the Christian that is building their house on a spiritual foundation, does everything they can to get away from it understands that they got to walk away from it. they got to turn their, their back to it. Understand the danger of compromise. Listen, I, I'm going to try this. This is the fourth time I've tried this. Nobody's liked it at all. Hopefully you will. It's just some Texas sayings. I know you guys love Texas sayings. But we would say things like this. If you don't want to get stung, stay away from the bees. See, you're like the others, I tell you. <laughs> One more. If you don't want to get burned, stay away from the fire. How's that? Is that okay? So you get, this is what Simon Peter, so I'll, you know what? I will never say that stuff again. How about that? <laughs> and what he's telling us is this. is just stay away from temptation. And he says, why? He, he says this. He says, because you're strangers and you're aliens here. You're exiles. The, the living Bible tells us this. It says this, you're visitors. You have temporary residence. In other words, the Greek literally says, you do not have a citizenship here. This is not your home. Listen, we're not supposed to fit in. This is not our home. We are, listen, we are just passing by. And what Simon Peter is saying, he says, this is not your real home if you're a believer. It isn't here. It is not on earth. It is in heaven. And we're only going to be here maybe 60, 70, 80, 90 years and so don't get so hung up on it. Don't get so attached to it. Don't get so cozy with this world because you're not going to be here very long. We're, in other words, we're just, we're just passing through. And Simon Peter is saying, you know what? Don't let, don't let the culture tell you how to live. Paul put it a different way. Watch this. Paul says, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, he said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world. You don't get your values from this world. You don't get how you live your life from this world. But by the transformed, by the renewal of your mind, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that may by that by testing your that by testing you may discern what the will of God is there's that phrase again what the will of God is what is good and acceptable and perfect and all of a sudden apostle Paul the same as Simon Peter the same as in Jesus' teaching he makes this connection between our bodies our actions and our mind and what he's saying is the only way listen the only way that we're going to change our actions is by renewing our mind with God's word 
by reading God's Word. That's why we life journal. That's why we read through the Scriptures. We read through the entire Bible as a church every year. By taking His Word and, and submitting ourselves to His Word and, and following His Word and applying His Word. And so Simon Peter is saying, you know what? Because of the flesh, because of our sinful desires, our sin nature, this world is our default. And so Simon Peter would say when, when our default is being seduced, that we're on, we're on dangerous ground. We're caving in. In other words, we should live lives differently than those who do not profess Christ. He goes on in verse 16 and says, Live as, as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And so he's reminding them. He says, Hey, guess what? You're servants of God. Man, you're a Christ follower. You represent him so, so you don't cave to the culture of this world. And he said, As a Christian, listen, you, you, you are free. As a Christian, your salvation has been decided, but, but you, still have a, you still have a free will. And the fact is that you're free from the law. And he said, goes on and says, and so, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to sin. Don't use his grace as an excuse to say, well, now that I'm a believer, I can just live however I want. I can make any decision that I want. In other words, don't pull the God card to justify things are outside of his scripture. You know what's happening in our culture today? When people are being seduced by this world and they're being tempted by this world, instead of turning and getting away from it and building their life on a solid, firm foundation, which is his word, they begin say so saying something like, you know what? God just wants me happy. God, God just wants me happy. And so they buy the lie. And you know what? God doesn't just want you happy. God wants you joyful. And the way that you get joy in your life is being committed and being obedient to him to do what he says. And he says, then you will have a deeper life. Then you will build a, a house on a spiritually firm foundation. In other words, he's calling every one of us. And what he was doing is calling us to obedient, obedience and to live an obedient life to where it gives our life meaning. When we become unhappy with the world or when we become unhappy in situations, then the world tells us, you know what? God wants you happy. And those sinful desires that you have, I mean, it, it, just accept it. It's when people will begin to say, you know what? God doesn't care what I do with my body. God doesn't care. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that entire chapter was written on that very thing. God doesn't care what I say. God doesn't care about my actions. Man, I'm a believer. There's grace. There's forgiveness. He doesn't care how I live. And what Simon Peter would say is that's when you're building your life not on a firm foundation. Verse 12, he goes on. In verse 15, he goes on and he says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And Simon Peter would say, you know, it's not only knowing about God's will. It's about doing God's will. It's about being faithful wherever God has called you, where he's called you into singleness, where he's called you into marriage, where the career, the profession that he's called you into, to where all of a sudden it's about holiness, to all of a sudden it's about faithfulness. It's about this issue of coming to the place to where you just learn to just to do God's will. So many times in the, in the local church, the, the talk is this issue about, well, what is God's will for my life? And, but in Scripture, you find the emphasis is on just doing God's will. Just following God's will, just taking the scriptures and opening them up and allow them to speak to you. 
The first thing that we do to live an authentic life is we understand this issue of temptation. The second thing is this, and I'm telling you, it does not get any easier. The fact is, you guys are even going to get more quiet as we walk into this. The way that we live an authentic life is the way that we respond to authority. The authority that God has placed over us. And you live an authentic life when your beliefs match your, your actions. And, and Simon Peter, remember, he's writing this letter. And he's writing this letter to the churches when the government was against them, when the government was persecuting them, when the government, I mean, were doing everything they could to stamp out Christianity. And, and he speaks into their life about people in government and law enforcement and your boss and spiritual authorities and people that God has placed over you. In verse 12, he says, he says, be subject for the Lord's sake. To every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. In other words, he says, respect, honor, honor the king, honor the government, honor the president, honor the, the, the governmental officials that God has placed over you. Honor law enforcement. In fact, is King James, if you read this in the King James Version, it would tell you that law enforcement people are, are, are ministers or servants of, of God to protect us and to give us guidelines and, and, and other things. And, and so many times when we get to this, our problem is, is with that word submit. And what he says, that as long as someone doesn't ask you to do something illegal, immoral, or against Scripture, that we're to fall in line with. That he, God has allowed government to give order in, in, in our country and other countries. Verse 13, he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. The reason that we do this is for him. Because we're ambassadors of Christ. We're followers of Christ. In verse 17, he goes on and he says, just three commands. He says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. And honor the king. The first one, he says, show proper respect to everyone. And I, I think we live in a world that is just hate-filled. There's no longer civil discourse, right? To disagree with someone means that you just don't sit down and have a civil conversation. You demean them. You degrade them. You personally attack them. I mean, when you look at our world, our world and our politics is becoming so partisan, is becoming so divided, and it's dividing this country. And Simon Peter comes in. Please remember, I mean, the government that he was under, it was horrible. He says, honor the government. Respect the position. Respect that they've been placed over you. He says, show proper respect to everyone, even people you disagree with. Get to know them. Why? Because we represent him. The other thing he says, love Christians everywhere. In other words, you get to the place to where you, learn, you love the family of God. You love the family of believers. And the last thing he says, he says, fear God and honor the king. And in, in his society, they were an outcast of society. And he says, honor the government. And he says, the way that you do that, you honor the position, not the personality. And you're willing to pray for the position, not the personality. Listen, I'll just tell you a quick story, and we'll move on. Many, many years ago, it was a long time ago, I was working my way through Romans with a, with a group of men in our church. And so we get to Romans chapter 13. And we come to Romans chapter 13. In Romans chapter 13, Paul says about the same thing that, that Simon Peter said. Uh, Paul was under a horrible government. He says, honor the king, honor those that God has placed over you. 
be willing to pray for them and all of those other things. And so I got, I got convicted. I mean, I got convicted that I hadn't been doing that. And so I asked my assistant, I said, would you please get me the name and the address of every person that is in government over us, all the way from the governor, all the way down, you know, from the state legislator and Senate and everything, all the way into Pueblo County government, whether it's city commissioners and, and city council and, um, and, and all of those offices that they held. Uh, we came up with 43 names, 43 people. I, read, I wrote each one of them a personally handwritten note, which is unheard of today, and that's, you know, oh, they're going to read it now, right? Because now they know it's not a form letter. And it, it was embossed with my name on it, and I, I just said a couple of things. I said, hey, uh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor in Pueblo, Colorado, Fellowship of the Rockies. I was working my way through Romans chapter 13. I was convicted because I have not been praying for you. So I apologize. And I want you to know that I'm committed from this point on to continue to pray for you. If there's ever anything that I can do for you or your family, regardless of your party lines, because God has not called me to be partisan, he's called me to be prophetic. That I will meet with you, I'll do anything I can to help you and the family. But just two guidelines. I'll do that as long as private and confidential, that you would never use my name for political gain. And I will never use your name for religious gain. I was shocked the number of politicians that responded to that. And I started doing breakfast meetings and I started doing lunch meetings and, and behind the scenes that you and nobody will ever know who and what except one man wrote me a, a note and, and uh, he's on the state level and if I, I told you his name you would know exactly who he was but uh, I contacted him and says, hey, do you mind if I just read this line out of, out of your response? And, and here's what he said, and I think it's just such a sad commentary on the church. He said, he said, Reverend Jones, thank you so much for your positive letter. Then here's the line. I am not accustomed to receiving positive letters from the clergy. I don't know that I know how to respond to this. God has not called the church to be partisan. I have my political views. You'll never know them. God has called pastors. God has called churches not to be partisan. You know what partisan is, right? When you have your party line and everybody outside of that party line is evil and you degrade them, and you're angry, and you can't have a civil discourse. You know what I think a lot of us need to do? A lot of you Republicans, you need to take a Democrat to lunch this week. Get to know them. Find out they're human. Find out they have families, they care, they have issues. And some of you Democrats, you need to invite some Republicans to lunch. And just get to know them. I mean, some place this has to start, right? Some place it has to start. Because I'm telling you, this is going to, well, we need to move on. But I got only three minutes and 29 seconds left, and I promised you I'd get you out here on time. But let, let me tell you something. Thank you. Church history will prove this. Every time you mix religion with politics, you know what you end up with? Politics every time. 
And you know who loses? The church. Because the church is no longer prophetic. The church is no longer a prophetic word speaking into all parties, saying what is not in line with Scripture. No party is perfect, okay? Just coming to this place till you realize that, guess what? This is not our home. We are just passing through. Vote, yes. Be a part of the process, yes, absolutely. But understand that God has called us to represent him. And guess what? You know the power of the church? The power of the church should be for a world that is watching in, looking in, should be able to see Republicans and Democrats and independents and liberals and conservatives all standing together in worship with hands raised to him. To there's unity. That there's unity in the body. And we love one another. We care for one another. The third and the last thing is this. The reason that we live authentic lives is the way that we respond when mistreated. Is the way that we respond when we're mistreated. Simon Peter is talking to a group of people that are being mistreated. And they're walking through this suffering. They're walking through religious persecution. And, and God is like purifying the church. In verse 21 he goes on. He says, for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. This is the kind of life that we've been invited to as a Christ follower. Christ came and he suffered and he died so that we could know how to live this life out. And Jesus is our model of how to suffer. Jesus is our model how to handle when we have, we have been mistreated. Verse 23 says, Instead entrusted himself to those who judge justly. Isn't this the opposite of our politicized culture? Our culture tells you if, you if someone hits you, you hit them back harder. Someone strikes you, you strike them. Man, you get even, you get revenge, you do what everything you, you have to do. Instead, says, instead, Jesus says, why don't you let God defend you? Man, Jesus' secret to defending himself was he entrusted himself to the Father. The scripture says that he suffered in silence and content to let God set things straight. The scripture says that, that the way that we handle when we've been mistreated, and listen, I know there can be some unhealthy people that can take this verse to the extreme, and I'm just supposed to be a doormat, and I'm, I'm supposed to stand in a situation or relationship where there's abuse and everything else. That is not what this scripture is talking about. The acid test, test of your faith and the acid test of my faith is how do you react when you've been mistreated? Jesus said this, that you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine so men can see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. The early church, they didn't influence a whole culture because they had political power, because they had none. They didn't influence a culture because they had great influence, because they had no influence. They were outcasts of society. They didn't influence a, 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 a culture because they had a lot of money, because they had, they had none. They were poor. You know how they influenced a society? Doing good deeds. They lived out their faith. You know who they took care of? The marginalized. The orphans, the widows, the children that have been cast aside, and they begin ministering to them. And you know what happened? 
a watching world looked in and said their faith must be real. Nobody else cares about those children. Nobody else cares about those women. Nobody else cares about those situations. I'm, I'm watching right now what God is doing in our congregation in the Pueblo County Jail. It is amazing what he's doing there. I mean, we have developed a, a congregation within the Pueblo County Jail that they worship along with us. There, yeah, you can clap. There are some things going on right now that the guards that are standing around the room and watching the worship, and they're saying, you know what, this doesn't happen. When they close in prayer, you know, what, you know what the men do? The men join hands and raise each other's hands above their head to show unity, and the guards are going, this just does not happen in prison. Last week, we had a, after the service, we had one man turn to another man and said, and he looked at him and says, hey, I want to thank you for inviting me to church, bro. I'll be here next time. I mean, they, they have their congregation. I believe in the coming days, is, is there a shift in culture? Is there a shift in ideas? Is there a shift in political process and policies? I believe it is going to force and push the church to the marginalized of society as we begin to minister to those and show the love of Christ to everybody, regardless of their situation, regardless of their circumstance. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?